sensations that come and go. In this moment we're not trying to fix anything. You could say we're just resting back. A little holiday from activity. to notice the global quality of listening. We can simultaneously be conscious or aware of the sound of my voice, the fan rustles in the room, distant traffic. And if we don't isolate any one sound, you could say it's a living tapestry, a movement. is not refused in this moment. There's space for it. In this moment, if we're not trying to manage 
in manage, I mean push or pull. You could say when we're not identified with these movements of sensations and thoughts and sounds, that we're just resting back into our own being. some of the qualities of this beingness. And that the more we rest back into our own nature, there's a sense of being without boundary. We can naturally feel the boundary of the body or the physicality in us. that is witnessing the body and all phenomenal aspects, does it have a boundary? We start to come to the realization that our own being is quite nebulous. If at any time a strong thought comes, a thought with stickiness, magnetism, and you see it, just come back to your own breath. Come back to your own sense of presence. You could say the breath is the doorway, the presence, one of the doorways. This ability not to grasp onto or push away, kind of craving and aversion, you could say. And there's a resting back from that propulsion. You could call that equanimity. Or you could just say simply letting things be as they are. For me, the quality of letting everything be as it is, is love. Unconditional love. 
that gives everything the space to be without judgment. say our judgments are what position us in this mode of separation. But to fully believe our judgment of another is to position ourselves as the judger, the judge. But you could say this divorces us from life, from the unified form. Not really divorces us, but you could call it an imaginal divorce. We imagine ourselves to be the judge. We imagine that we know better. And sometimes that judging gets so convoluted and we judge ourselves and the idea we have. We carry a, a very inflated sense of self very deflated. We imagine ourselves to be a villain or a hero. Or unworthy, or unlovable, or lost. Yet at all moments we are here prior to any judgment. could say this propensity to gravitate towards fixed position offers a very constricted form of security. We often imagine that even a painful identity is better than no identity. And that's where the mind falls down. The mind cannot imagine what it would be like to be without identity. Yet this that is aware of the mind, is it an identity? Can we say what it is? This is one mystery that cannot be spoiled, cannot be tarnished, cannot be owned, cannot be defeated. And knows no fear.
whatever arises out in us. Can we let be? It's vital that we come to a stage that we can recognize that these thoughts have no power unless we believe them. If we believe them, we make them real for ourselves. It's a partial reality, a very constricted reality. And this is where suffering stems from. Our attachment to a fixed position. This fascination with who we think we are, what we like to be or become, rather than experientially recognizing what we are in any given moment. These words in and of themselves have no power, but they stem from the limitless. Look to where these words arise and where they fade into. Even the idea of time is another distraction we play with we cannot face this moment. There is no hurry. There's nowhere to get to. You're here. Give yourself to this moment. Acclimatized to this sense of being and presence, the more we can fully appreciate its qualities. The quality of openness and judgment, subtle joy, ease of being.
story that you need to get anywhere is part of the relative play. But when we start to recognize our own completeness, what do we need? Where could we go that we're not already? This is to begin to tap into your formless nature, your essence. If at any time tensions come in the body, or subtle emotions, or strong emotions, let them move for space. We don't need to control anything or put a cap on it. We will share today in these words and converse. Let the words flow from this place of presence. Don't place too much importance on your personal story unless it's to question its authenticity, its reality. If you're willing to question it, when you can question it openly and honestly, you've started the process of disidentification. You could say your love of truth starts to outweigh the love of the story or the horror of the story. Because sometimes the horror of the story blinds us as much as the love of the story. And as a pointer, sometimes I say, rest back out of identification with all these objects of perception. But that leaves another question. What actually rests back? What rests back from thoughts, emotions, sensations? You could say it becomes very hard to define, but yet there's this unmistakable felt sense of being called presence. Can't say what it is, but yet we have an interest to find out. This is self-inquiry. And you could say, when you get to this point, you're listening to stillness. Your love is for this mystery. You're drawn towards it, even though you don't know what it is. You feel the pull of home. 
and if that pull you give yourself to that you may come to see that this home is what you are it's not a place that you've left you can get back to it's a place that you are Open your eyes for real. Choose there if you choose there. Leave them closed. Thank you all for coming. I thought some of you had escaped to the beach for ice cream. So. <laughs> Probably because I was tempted to. <laughs> We're here for these few hours and it's great. So I'm here for you. I'm interested to find out how you've been since the last satsang a couple of months ago and what's been happening for you. And lovely to see some new faces. Orla, is it? Yeah. Hey Orla, nice to meet you. Mona, is it? Mm -hmm. Hey Mona, nice to meet you. And we have Chris here as well, he's come from the Liverpool to join us. Even the buses couldn't stop and be hitched. <laughs> <laughs> I love that tenacity, it's great. Really great. You're very welcome, Chris. So if there's anything you'd like to explore or express, feel free. Patricia, how have you been since the last time? Um, um, I've been on a very good express and stuff. Oh, I would think I'm getting to a more level of more insight, what would you call it, more awareness, more, more conscious, more conscious, yeah, more conscious, I still feel to where I haven't, haven't reached the point of liberation where I've stopped seeking, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I definitely, I'm still listening to my teachers quite a lot. I still attend my spiritual groups, but there is a good, as you say, ease of ease of travel, contentment there. Good. Definitely, you know, happier. Good. It's wonderful. And that no, not no, not so much seeking or grasping or pushing, yeah. just as a nice even key. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I do think in it, um, I always felt as it was on the way down that when I when I kind of got this level of awareness or self-realization that um, everything would be clear and that there would be a joy and a bliss but <laughs> I'm finding out that that isn't you know life has to, to be kind of daily life has to you know continuous it's a it's an interesting subject and it's wonderful you're coming to that place of peace and contentment yeah So when there's that contentment, it's very welcome that we're not in conflict with life. Melody is. Some people experience bliss and love and joy. Certain parts of their awakening, but it's not essential. 
for me it's the quality of peace and happiness that's been manifest and that's really important and that we're not in conflict with our loved ones, with our environment, with the world that we're not getting lost in a contracted position that we just even that little glimmer of more space to let things be is a great step and are you practicing meditation or self-inquiry? Um, sometimes I can do, you know, for the last few weeks I have been dragged to sit down and to get into that space. Mm. Um, you know, for one time I couldn't have really, I was always chasing a book or chasing a the YouTube video or something, but they've kind of fallen away a bit, and you know I can sit down now and quietly and be be that good, be that being, let's say. Yeah, excellent. That's great. It's lovely when you know we have that hunger initially, and we we can devour books and you know videos of teachers, and then it's more we ease off. It's like we're full. We need time to digest and just to be with and let the teachings themselves unravel. Let's see. Because otherwise we can just get stuck in intellectualism, just trying to figure it out with the mind only. And that can lead into its own kind of yeah. spiral. Brilliant. Good. Yeah. That for me is the real litmus test. That people are happy. There are these. Often we have ideas of what bliss is like to be ecstatically happy at all times and it hasn't been my experience. Yeah. Like these emotive qualities come and go. But what is there that witnesses all these qualities coming and going? That itself is at peace. And when that's realized to be our deepest nature, peace floods our whole being. You could call this embodiment, you're embodying your own peace. Yeah. Oh, this moment. There will never be an awakening in the future. Ever. Can't. Only now. So that lets us put aside all of our fantasies about the next retreat or next year or next teacher. Always now. Always now. You can still plan for all these things, it's just the functional way, but not to hang all our hopes on something in the future, because we're dealing with imagination then. Thanks for coming. I know myself at a certain stage, and especially when you might be going through uncomfortable feelings or the body's tense or there's energy coming as we begin to loosen that kind of identification with small self, that it can be like shedding a skin. And at times, because it's uncomfortable, 
it's very natural for us to project some quality in the future of a perfect me or a finished me and that itself can be a distraction of not accepting what's arising in this present moment whatever that may be How was your evening, Chris? Good. Good. How do you find yourself today? Um, this morning I felt like... Uh, I can see the grasper and I, and I know that it's, it's never going to get what it wants. Yes. It's, and I, and I have to give up. But, um, yeah, it's one one line I keep going back to. It's uh, I've been searching for God my whole life. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I gave up and turned back. It's like what we spoke last time, can the seer be seen? Constantly looking out for the seer, of what's seen. And that's what you're saying, when we orient around to look, what's looking? And, see. and that's the famous quote, what you're looking for is where you're looking from. It's interesting what you say, you know, the nature of this grasper. The nature of this grasper, it, at its heart, at its core, it feels incomplete. Real sense of dissatisfaction. Never enough. You know? And even if it gets what it wants, it just gets a temporary And then there's something else that wants. And it has to have this or can't be. And there's a danger in that when it's like, and then I have to have enlightenment. You see, it's again setting up this trajectory of keep going, keep going, keep going. And I'm not disavowing the seeking energy. The seeking energy is very useful to a point. It starts the process of orientation, starts with reading, go to meetings, asking questions, inquiring, contemplating. But more and more, as you start to recognize your own beingness, you realize you're not looking for a thing, an object. And what does that lead to? What can you say about this that's aware of the grasper?
it's even difficult to admit to ourselves what we actually are. Because part of us goes, no, 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 the mind, no, 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 step too far, step too far. That kind of fearful mind puts the brakes on, crawls, quickly, quickly, quickly. Yeah, when you say rest in and as this silence mm -hmm. sometimes I'll get a glimpse of as the yes. silence and, and then it I, I just get like little little taste taste mm -hmm. they call them satoris little glimpses in a way these little glimpses are fantastic they're encourages say yes this is the way. And really it's an encouragement to set down all of our ideas, hopes and wishes in favour of this glimpse. And be wary of the mind that says, but I still have A, B or C to complete. And then, yeah. you understand what I mean? So, from my point in, sometimes I talk of resting back in, and then there's a deeper aspect of resting as. What is actually resting in? body-mind and resting in. And there's awareness of this body-mind. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Does the awareness of the body-mind need to rest? No. There's the resting as the Simultaneously resting in the mm. mm. And you could say always resting is, even when there's not physical rest, mental rest. 
Yeah. And that awareness is always at rest. That peace. When we rest that, is there any problems? No. You're at peace. Pretty. And even if a fearful thought comes, or the idea of I'm vulnerable or this or that, where does that occur in? turmoil and activity happens in utter rest. When you realize yourself to be this awareness, then whatever happens can't perturb you in any way. And this is the line, the peace that passes it all understanding. really say, well, we can, how accurate it is, we can say, oh, am I awareness then? But then it's the, we could just simply say awareness is, there's awareness of even the idea that I am, there's awareness of even the feeling that I am, that this awareness is prior to I amness or identity. So initially I invite people to rest back, but then the deeper aspect is to recognize we're always at rest. That our essential nature is peace. Once this is recognized, it starts to meet any remaining contractions or vastness of the body, such as fear or, or thought patterns. They start to lose them, kind of vibrates them out. Because they're not being held to us what I am anymore. Because when we fear something, we push it away. Not to be grasped. But this awareness is space for everything. And the funny thing is, when we're not identified with these patterns or movements, that they lose their strength and veracity because they're not being fed by identification. like I kind of 
sensed into what you were saying and then the mind came in and, and now thinking of Yeah. So back to kind of personal mode. Yeah. You got a big taste of it again and then it's this activity seems to take preference. So is it just keep going back to it? Initially keep going back, but then at a certain stage you've got to question the validity of what goes back. How true is it? Is there something... Are you a yo-yo? <laughs> you see? So initially I said retaste it again and again, taste yeah. it, taste this, the openness of our own essential nature. But then you have to question what's tasting it. I suppose it's that old line, do you want to taste the honey or bee honey? Do we keep going back for tastes? And there's kind of a danger in that because it's sweet. And to get another taste we have to contract and go back. So you can be both, you can taste them and realize you are. Them. So the mind come up quite strong, so you were getting a taste of this openness to what you are and then the mind's energy or propensity is to close down, button the hatches, pull everything back in, tension. So it'll create some a flurry of emotion or sensation or an old thought that grabs us. It's very important. See the alarm, there's a lot of seeming importance to these things. Like quick attend to this, attend to this. And it puts us back in this kind of seeker mode. What would you be looking for? Just to know it better. You'll never find what you're looking for outside yourself. And what you are cannot be denied to you. But you could say we can turn from it. in favour of this dualistic position. There's nothing wrong with the dualistic position as a functional <coughs> position. It helps us relate to each other, have conversations, have fun, laugh, share a joke. But it's not all that we are. Come anywhere. That's not fast. Where could it go? Can awareness lose itself?
there's just awareness of a yogi. Sometimes we get a little bit confused because when we come to that place of openness, awareness, there can be a real sense of freedom to it. And like in that moment there's awareness of freedom or a subtle sense of openness. But then if there's a change, the next thing there's a contraction or some thoughts, we think awareness has been lost. But it hasn't, there's just awareness now of some thoughts. Yeah. So all this change is the word you're aware of some of the objects of consciousness. And what the trick become aware of awareness. Recognize that you're never not aware. quite subtle. So I feel like uh, because it's subtle mm -hmm. the mind doesn't kind of accept it. Yeah. The mind doesn't want it. Because it's a threat to the mind's dominance. The mind likes to pretend it is the be all and end all. That it's that you need a stamp of approval, you see. The mind won't give its stamp of approval in that way. But yet awareness can recognize itself as awareness. This is self-confirming, self-realization. <coughs> awareness aware of itself <coughs> prior to mind. <coughs> Because you, as awareness, are aware of the mind and its movements. You have the upper hand. You don't give deference to the mind. mystery that we are, of not exactly knowing, we know that we are, 
but not exactly knowing what that is. We are comfortable with the mystery that we are. Your nothingness is making itself apparent. The mind deals with the knowing, the facts, the concepts, the ideas. It can't tackle the unknown, the mystery. It can't, it can't get the grips on it. It's like trying to grasp the air. Can't do it. The mind will try to make an object of it. Yeah. It'll try to make it into a picture, or an idea, or a phrase, or an experience. I got it! Yeah. <laughs> Anything it can get is not it. So if the mind ever says that, no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> of apperceiving, of awareness, recognizing itself. It's self-confirming. It's not an idea. It's not a rational framework, 2 plus 2 is 4, like the mind deals with or logic or categorization. It's just directly intuitively, boom, see? Like the taste you got a second ago. But yet that taste is still here. What do you mean? The mind says it's not. How long will you listen to this mind for? Not to dismiss the mind completely, it has this functional aspect, quite fantastic, a lovely tool. But there's some things it cannot tackle, and I've got to recognize that. It'll try and try and try. Frustrate, but it can't do it. It plays its part. We use the mind for self-inquiry and contemplation. But it cannot grasp this pure subjectivity. Yet at all times you're even aware of this grasping. Interesting aspect, I'll leave you that. I asked you the question like, where are you now? And you said, I don't know. And there's awareness of even that not knowing. There's awareness of knowing, there's awareness of not knowing. Awareness is prior to knowledge. 
So the answer will not come in the form of knowledge, a fact or an idea or an image. And the answers will connect to those eggs. And what's looking through those eyes means nothing. Even the antics of the grasper don't perturb awareness. possible here at this mystery. Good. Would you like to share? Or? If you like. The idea of grasping, mm -hmm. does this whole idea of grasping, um, what you began kind of sharing or talking about there, mm -hmm. just kind of grabbed me in this okay. idea. I'm grasping for something. Yes. And the something will never be it. No. <laughs> it's only just now. Yeah. yeah. Bound to fail. That's a relief to recognize that. It's like, oh, that's not going to work. It's almost the way in which <coughs> the body mind functions. It is, exactly. And that it's all, it's all the time looking for something. And the something is always kind of out there. Yes. It's, uh, In my journey, it's been kind of very <laughs> prevalent <laughs> in books and courses and people and travel. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, it's all been out there. Yes. And uh, it's opened up different kind of avenues of kind of experiencing. Yeah. It's just in the dualistic things mm -hmm. experiencing, but it's never, it's never satisfactory. Yes. <laughs> And there's that kind of realization there that it's
my focus, the focus of this body mind at the moment is just trying to, or just experiencing the silence, mm. sitting in the silence, mm. and experiencing the silence, and the the awareness mm -hmm. becomes more kind of prevalent when I'm kind of in the silence. Yes. Uh, this idea of the awareness always being there mm -hmm. is again another kind of ah. You know, it's, it's always there because there has been this feeling or experience that when something really happens, mm -hmm. identification goes straight away into whatever emotions the body's feeling. Mm -hmm. And in those moments, there is a sense that the awareness is gone, or I've lost the awareness, yes. something's blocking the awareness. Yes. But this sense of the awareness always being there. Yes. Um, yeah, I spend a lot of my time just listening to the sages like Muji and mm -hmm. Robert Adams reminding me yes. of all the little pitfalls that <laughs> I experience, I have experienced. Mm -hmm. And uh, I suppose. Intellectually, I've tried to grasp things. I've been grasping at things intellectually, trying to grasp these things and pin, pin down the mystery and concepts. Mm -hmm. And there's a sense now that you know it's it's not that, <laughs> it's, it's not that, and yes. it's it's almost like being kind of gentle with myself and saying, well, yeah, it's okay, you know, it's okay just to leave the concepts there, but there is a part of me that's before the concepts, yes. and I think it's, it's pulling back all the time now. Mm. I think this has been happening now for the last few months, so just kind of pulled back. The awareness is there, witnessing all this going on. Yes. And uh, I remember the last time I was here, you, you uh, I don't know what came up for me, but this, it was, it was this sense of, uh, I mentioned a veil, I felt there was a veil blocking yes. the true self from, um, <laughs> from achieving this. It was almost I'm ready to grasp it, but there's a veil there. This, and I think, yeah, what I think you reminded me at that stage was the fact that even the veil is a concept. Yes. <laughs> so there are all these concepts that have to, that are surfacing and have to be looked at. And yeah. I sat with that and I was like, yeah, yeah, the veil is another concept. It's something that I'm ready to, to grasp at. Uh, and there's that kind of grasping behavior has been there, <laughs> is there, and there's an awareness of it. Um, yeah, the... Uh, I feel a lot of gratitude, really, that I have time and space just to kind of sit with these things and to... Uh, this is kind of my focus, or the focus of this body mind now, is just to, to sit with that. To... I'm aware of just an energy, a tingling sensation in the body now that's just getting stronger and stronger, especially when I'm in a group with this, but also when I'm sitting at home. Mm -hmm. uh, it's there. Uh, this is something, it's also a feeling I'm aware of it as well. Yes. But uh, it's a nice feeling. <laughs> yes. You could say when we come, start to loosen the grip or the, the kind of fascination with the, 
the objects. We start to come back to our own presence. And there's a subtle feeling in that joy. Because you're starting to recognize your own nature. So there's subtle sensations of love and joy and peace. So we talked about that the last bit of veil. And you talked about there's awareness. And then it seems to be that a lot of activity happens. And awareness is lost or, you know, it's there. But you could not report about that activity if there was no awareness of it. The awareness never goes anywhere. We only think it has gone somewhere. So there's the concept, awareness has gone now. Or I'm not there, or I've lost something. So we're playing with an idea. We've moved with it. And I like what you said, like, it's the human propensity is to look outside itself, to get what it needs, always, you see. So if we're given a mission, find enlightenment, looking under bushes, and, you know, moving around. But we really, that's part of, I suppose you could call it our practice, spiritual practice, is to learn to orientate inwards, initially. To start to recognize where we're looking from. And what you said is vital. When you recognize what you're looking for, is not a thing that narrows the field. It means you don't have to deal with the phenomenal world. Everything. You come back. What's prior to this? All these objects. What witnesses the temporality of all objects? Is it temporal? I know on my journey there was a huge kind of focus and kind of just seeking seeking beauty in nature and things like that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, there's now a sense from kind of looking at something really nice, like who is actually looking at this? Yes. Yeah. Even and that same awareness is still there when the situation is not all that attractive. Attract that's the thing. Yeah. Don't get hooked on beauty. Yeah. I, that was a cul-de-sac I nearly got caught in myself. It's when I went through, I think it was a second big awakening, just such joy and love. And I focused on the beauty of life, the utter beauty and the love, as sensations and feelings, very emotive. And then it was like, when I felt them slip a bit, it was like, oh, don't go. You see? But I hadn't fully recognized that awareness doesn't grasp, doesn't try to maintain anything, even love, love is free to move. And there's awareness of the full gamut of contrast of the phenomenal world, from what we term the beautiful to the ugly. But when we come back to that position of awareness, then you may have a preference for certain things, but you find everything equal in value. Everything you Everything is equal in value. Yeah. So we just don't say, oh, this is worthy and valuable, that. You know, we start to see if it exists, it's here. It's a product of, you could say, this essential nature, but you could term divinity, Godhead different terms, 
And again, the terms are just concepts. What can you say about this awareness, Sean? I don't think you can really say anything about it. It's Everything's happening in it. Yes. And this sense of Sean in the body with the mind, you know, is is in the awareness. Yes. Uh, having hugely identified with the body mind for most of my life, mm -hmm. and still a lot of it, huge identification at times. Mm -hmm. There are probably more moments now when I'm more aware. Well, awareness is there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I'm in the process of keeping reminding myself that it's still there, that it is always there. Mm -hmm. But in this identification happens with thoughts, with feelings. Excellent. Yeah. So what gets identified? Yeah. What is it that gets identified? Can awareness get identified to anything? No. It's, it's the... Well, it's... Uh, maybe part of the awareness does. Ah, I wonder. So I'd use a different terminology. Maybe it might be useful to you. I'll explain it. So I make a slight distinction between consciousness and awareness. In essence, maybe you could say there is none. Yeah. But from a point of view of pointing and teaching and guiding, I use it to elucidate yeah. the kind of movement. So, <coughs> if we look at it in terms of identity, when there's identification with embodiment, yeah, so there's this contracted feeling of, I am this body, here I am, I'm this separate individual in a world trying to get by and do things. So that's the identity, it's a constricted kind of form of identity. So you could say it's a constricted form of identity. And then there's these moments where our beingness seems to shine through. I recognize, oh, I'm not just this, yeah? And there's this sense of openness, we could say. And that openness is more expanded sense of self, more nervous, open. So it's, it's very beautiful because we're used to that constriction of the body mind. So we could say we've gone from a contracted sense of I am a body to this more expanded sense of just I am. Yeah? Can you agree with that? Yeah. yeah. What's aware of the contracted I am? What's aware of the expanded I am? It's the same awareness. Same awareness. So there's awareness of I am. Is I am another object? If awareness is aware of it, you can see it. So this I amness, is it permanent, this I am? If it fluctuates from a contracted sense to an open state, it shares the quality of temporality, of dynamism, of movement. 
another temporal aspect of this manifest world. So this, you could say, is what moves. The I am goes from contracted to open, contracted to open. Sometimes a whole life contracted. Yet there's awareness of this. Awareness is prior to the I am. Awareness is prior to this beingness or dynamic consciousness. So then, is it any problem if the sense of I am contracts or expands to awareness, is that a problem? The thing is, we often want to stabilize at the expanded sense of self. We go, I like this a lot, I want to hold on to this, I want to keep this. <clears throat> but that's trying to hold and grasp. What's doing that? You see, awareness isn't trying to hold anything. So even trying to maintain a nebulous or open I am, this expansive presence, is another idea. That when we're ready, when we're mature enough, we can see through. So say Muji or some of the teachers are like Robert Adams. So Robert Adams will think. So, give me your favorite line from Robert Adams, a couple of your favorite lines. My favorite line is his statement that it's not so much the words, but it's the silence between the words. Yes. What does the silence between the words reveal? For me, the silence between the words. Or is it an invitation to silence, could you say? It's like an invitation, yeah, just to be still. be still. So I love that word. Sometimes it's useful to differentiate between when we use the word stillness and silence. Because sometimes when we use the word silence, we think of just physical silence. You know, there's no noise in the room, so it's nice and quiet, like a meditation. But then there's this stillness. This stillness, you could say, can be, start to be noticed between the gaps between words. But here's a quality, if you start to recognize this about stillness, if we use the analogy of, in this room, and the space in this room. And the words are like objects in the room. So some of the words are couches, some of them are bodies, some of them are pictures. And they move around and do things. Has the space been changed in this room? So even if there's activity and objects bouncing around, the space isn't changed. You could say the space between this couch and this couch is more noticeable, but the space is everywhere. So you could say the space between words is an invitation to recognize that stillness 
is always regardless of the activities that happen within it and is not touched by it. So that's why Robert Adams can say you're the absolute Parabrahman, you've never not been this. Sound like awareness? Awareness, anything. The mind will come in and it can't be, can't be that simple. It like it has this hold that it sense of incompleteness that only it can assuage. But that's another idea. So, in this moment, I can appreciate the stillness that I am, even though there's the noise of the fan, the sound of these words in traffic. The stillness is not perturbed. The silence may be affected because there's sounds with it. The same is true for awareness. Thoughts come and go. Emotions come and go. And does it leave any trace in emptiness and spaciousness? So this spaciousness or stillness is our formless aspect. We don't have to refuse this world of form, it just unfolds. It's the dance of life. But without this space, there could be no dance. And you could say the beauty of the dance is that it helps reveal that it is moving, this dance. And in a way, they're inseparable. And that's why I like the term dynamic stillness. In each moment there's other stillness and activity. I don't favor one over the other. And that's non-duality.